welcome to the Wellbeing Career Podcast. I'm delighted to be chatting with co-founder of Local High Marketing, leader in executive relations, blockchain communicator, branding expert, master naturalist author, public speaker, former model and current mother. She brings extensive knowledge of business, human nature and the natural world, creating scalable impacts across a variety of industries, including digital marketing, renewable energy, blockchain and communication. A very warm welcome to the show, Mariah Maynard. How are you getting on today? I'm doing excellent. If I was doing any better, it'd probably be illegal. I'm telling you, I mean, how do you get time? You have so much going on in your introduction there. I don't know where you get time to be a mom, but anyway, we'll talk about it later on. So before we start anything, where are you right now on planet Earth? On planet Earth, I am in Scottsdale, Arizona, which is next to Phoenix, Arizona. It is sunny and 80 degrees. It is absolutely delightful outside. Oh, my word. Okay. We're very, very, very jealous. So I gave you a brief introduction there to the listeners. So can you tell listeners a little bit pretty much about your background? Absolutely. Um, I was the daughter of an entrepreneur. Um, back in the day, my father was the original founder of LifeLock, um, which was a really big company and did a lot of really great things, but he struggled as a pers- um, in his personal life. Uh, and so watching the growth of a really successful company that added a lot of value to the world, um, but also watching my father struggle being an entrepreneur, it gave me a really fierce passion for balance. How do we go out and do the things that we want to do and create the things that we want to build while still taking care of ourselves at home and the relationships that give our lives meaning? Um, So through that, I have always been a bit of a salesman. I did door-to-door sales when I was 14 for Kirby Vacuums. Then I was in the uh, I was in the service industry for a long time. I bartended for a long time, and I just learned how to talk to people. And what I learned is that the biggest disconnect is that you can talk all day long, but unless you can meet people where they're at and you can help them comprehend and understand, then you're really just screaming into a vacuum. So I got into marketing. I just started helping people with tips and tricks. I learned digital marketing tools. I got connected with an incredible team at Local Fi. Um, and then we turned, we uh, created Local High as a spinoff specifically for heavily regulated industries like cannabis. And then uh, just in through developing my relationships, I became really, really interested in three things, value, how we move it around and how we keep it safe. And so I learned about renewable energy. I learned about infrastructure and blockchain. And I learned about um, what it really means to for something to be special to you. And so that's what led me to the Master Naturalist program, because I find a lot of value in my relationship with the natural world. So that's kind of how I got here. <laughs> One step at a so time. We haven't discussed this generally before the podcast. So what is a Master Naturalist? Sure. So a master naturalist is actually an organization. It's based here in the United States. I'm not sure if it's in other countries, but it goes down to the state level. So I'm part of the Arizona Master Naturalist Organization, which means that we just train volunteers about um, inclusivity practices, um, natural history, indigenous history, which allows us to then go out to businesses and um, organizations who are trying to do projects like pulling invasive species from the ground and planting native seeds to create better and healthier ecosystems, Um, trash pickups. We do uh, a lot of interpretation work, meaning that 
there's a lot of really cool ways that technology can help the natural world. For example, this past weekend across 22 countries, there was a project called the City Nature Challenge. So there's an app you can download on your phone called iNaturalist and you just go around taking pictures of the trees and the shrubs and the animals that you see and you identify them and that is called community science. But that data that gets collected gets used for conservation projects all over the world for all different types of things, for creating legislation, to building roads, to development. So it's really this like global effort that starts at the community, um, just trying to help the natural world by bringing in the tools that we have at our disposal with technology, and then by bringing people together so that we can have a greater impact than we can by ourselves. Wow. Pretty, pretty impressive. I want, I want to ask you, I know we spoke about this well before we started recording, but uh, before we get into the serious stuff today, which we're going to talk about blockchain and cryptocurrency, um, have you any Irish blood? Have you any Irish background? You're wearing green today, which is a good start. And as I mentioned before, you're, you're redhead. Is that correct? Yes, I am a six foot natural redhead. Um, and I have a personality that matches but yes, okay. I have lots of Irish blood in me. I, for the longest time, was told that I come from the background of German, French, and uh, Hispanic blood, uh, which didn't make any sense. So okay. I did a genealogy <laughs> test, and it turns out that I am over 70% Irish, oh, wow. um, kind of German, and pretty Icelandic as well. So yeah, wow. lots, of, lots of Irish blood. We have a big trip planned or planning uh, to come to Ireland because my, my husband's Scottish. Oh wow! Yeah. Okay. And is he? Is he? I'm going to say this kind of. Is he really Scottish, or has he got Scottish blood? Um, he's really German with Scottish okay. blood. He's okay. <laughs> tall, blonde hair, blue eyes. <laughs> okay, we're just checking that, just making sure. Um, yeah. okay, let's move into the serious stuff then. So I'm going to. I've asked you already before we started. Keep it as simple as possible, as big, especially for me. And um, what is blockchain? Or can what? you explain it? For sure. So what is what blockchain, what the blockchain is, is a series of transactional receipts. So I say that and each transaction is a block. You put those blocks side by side, it becomes a chain of blocks or a blockchain. Now, the only way you can create one of these blocks by doing a transaction is by being on the network, which means that my computer has to be connected to the blockchain network, which I know sounds really complicated because there are lots of different ways that people are mining these days. You can mine for Bitcoin, for Ethereum, for ThetaCoin, all of these different things. But what those coins are doing, let's... Let's back up for a second and we're going to talk about Bitcoin. Bitcoin, it, to have a Bitcoin, you have a key. The key allows you to make adjustments to the ledger. That means if I have a blockchain, if I have a Bitcoin, I am able to open up this ledger of blockchain, make a note that something has happened and add it to the blockchain. So now it's one block longer and then I'm done. So the value of a Bitcoin is the ability to change the ledger that is the blockchain. How much of that makes sense and where should I dig in deeper? Keep going. The reason I ask, well, is it Bitcoin? So I'm going to ask you some probably basic questions, probably for me, but for you, well, for basic questions for you, but for me, it's like, okay. So Bitcoin, is mm -hmm. Bitcoin a physical coin or is it a, like a 
a piece of currency that's virtually in uh, the matrix type of men. <laughs> right, <laughs> it's, right. It's, right. So it, you'll never see a Bitcoin. Is that correct? You'll never actually hold a Bitcoin. You will never hold a Bitcoin. There's no such thing as a Bitcoin. What a okay. Bitcoin is, is a string of alpha. It's an alphanumeric key. And that alphanumeric okay. key that's made for, if you are not a tech person, you don't have to worry about any of this. If you are not actually like getting into the code, you are not accessing the ledger, you don't have to worry about the key, the key that is the blockchain. For okay. most people right now, the question is around investing in Bitcoin. A yeah. Bitcoin, to buy a Bitcoin, the, the value of a Bitcoin right now is about, I think like $54,000 last time I checked. Um, wow. But you don't have to pay $54,000 to invest in Bitcoin. You can spend $10 investing in a share of Bitcoin so that as the value of Bitcoin rises, your money will grow. That's the difference. If to get a Bitcoin, an actual encrypted key, you have to mine Bitcoin. Okay. There is an entire universe that exists that is mining Bitcoin. And all that means is that your computer is up and running. The reason it's expensive to mine Bitcoin is it takes a lot of power. I can do it for my computer, but if I keep Bitcoin mining for 16 hours, my electric bill is going to go through the roof. Right. That's part of the reason why Bitcoin has, it's, it's met this confrontational space with this, the new world movement, right? The age of Aquarius. I have a lot of talks with people who are like, oh, Bitcoin is the perfect way to decentralize banks. And it's the way that we're going to move on and we're going to save the planet. I'm like, well, if we keep, first of all, there's a finite number of Bitcoins. Once we get all those Bitcoins, then we're done. There's no more. Um, right. But what that also means is that there's, it takes so much more power to mine Bitcoin than it does to print money, that now we're just creating a new problem. So who decided then, Mariah, who decided on Bitcoin? So why weren't people just happy with, okay, here's a credit card, here's some cash, here's some coins, like real coins. Right. Why all of a sudden, is it environmental? Is it, is that the way we're heading now or? Social, economical, what it, so I'm going to tell you a story. We're okay. going to go back. Back Sorry. in the day, people bartered. I have a cow. I want a goat. I'm going to give you my cow. You give me your goat. We're all gravy. But then it got a little, it, then kings came along. We now had monarchs. We had people who wanted to rule and regulate trade. So he created a coin and he put his face on the coin. He said, here are your coins. Here you can do what you want with it. Create an economy. But then it got really heavy carrying our coins around. So we didn't want to like people who were stealing our stuff. You couldn't keep it safe. So we created a really big building in which we put all like a repository. We put all of those coins to keep them safe. People then, mostly men, stood, sat outside <laughs> on the benches. Um, but it's only because they were trained in arithmetic. But they sat, sat outside on the benches and they would keep the ledger. So you walk in and you were like, hey, I just put 100 coins in there. I'm taking 10 out. So there's 90 left in there. I don't have anywhere to write this down. Can you help me? So like, yeah, absolutely. John D's got 90 coins. He had 100, took 10 out. There's the ledger. And now he holds the ledger for everyone coming through there. And there's a lot of power in that ledger. Right. So the Greek word for bench is bongo. So that was the first form of a bank, was the fact that we centralize the information about whose money is where and what it's doing. And then it just kind of built, got built out from there. So 
that natural process moved to cash, moved to the Federal Reserve. Then we just got tired of carrying around cash. So we got to credit cards, right? Well, I have this yeah. bank account. It represents X amount of dollars, but I don't want to go get the cash. Now I have this piece of plastic that I can take anywhere, use all the time, but I'm trusting that my bank isn't going to do anything fishy with my money, which is not what's happening, unfortunately. So there's being money is being written and given away by multiple governments, any government that has a federal reserve that's basically being loaned out on credit. And that credit is the money that exists in the banks of the citizens. So we are writing these checks that these banks are writing. So it's basically a problem of decentralization. So now we have the problem of inflation. We learned a really long time ago that if you keep raising taxes, people revolt. But if you keep raising the price of living, they can argue about it until the cows come home and we can keep making money. So what Bitcoin does is it now provides full and total transparency. The money that's being recorded on this ledger, that's the, the transactions that are happening, you know, in these really big wallets, um, that information can be viewed by everyone, which is why if you have the key and you are making that entry into the ledger, you want to do it right. You don't want to, to be fraudulent. You don't, because everybody knows you put it in, you right. have everything. And then this is where it went wrong. We can backtrack and see everything. So right. that is the value of that's the attractive value of Bitcoin is that now everybody gets to be a part of this hyper elite process up until this point. And that gives us a feeling of more control, which is a fallacy. <laughs> but because Bitcoin can't hold the value that we need it to hold. Bitcoin itself has a value, but my, my money that's invested in Bitcoin is just an investment. It's not Bitcoin. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah sure. Like the nuance kind of, kind of starts to get funky. Yeah. But Bitcoin was the first and Bitcoin was the biggest. It was the one that knocked down the door of decentralization. And we have a lot to be grateful for to Bitcoin. In my personal opinion and the opinion of many experts, it is not going to be the answer to decentralization. Right. It was a great stepping stone. It will always go down in history as like the one that knocked it down. But now we have actual asset-backed digital commodities, which can store value, can keep it safe, and we can move that around without creating an entire engine of mining to make that happen. Right. So it's just it's just an evolution. It's just the next step. So when you start thinking of the blockchain as your local bank, but you could just walk into the vault and see everybody's stuff. So nobody's going to steal your stuff either because yes. everybody knows that they're that you're walking through. It's now this idea of trust and transparency that's being flipped on its head. So, OK. So we've mentioned there with regards to uh, blockchain and Bitcoin. Mm -hmm. So is there, so is cryptocurrency similar to Bitcoin or is cryptocurrency a funky name used the same as blockchain? You don't want to get it? Or is it, how many types of these currencies are there? Like what's the different names? Is it like Bitcoin, cryptocurrency? Are they kind of the same type of thing? 
Um, okay, so yes and no. So let's start real simple. Bitcoin is a type of cryptocurrency. All yeah. cryptocurrencies operate on a blockchain. Okay. So think about it like, um, I think like store credit. Okay. You have, somebody <laughs> gave you, somebody gave you a hundred dollars in target money, right? But you can only spend that hundred dollars at target. So it only has value at target. It's only target money. So if I have a hundred dollars in Bitcoin, I can only trade that. I can only trade with other people who have Bitcoin in this Bitcoin world, unless I want transferring is a whole other thing. You have to be on the Bitcoin network to accept or trade Bitcoin. Okay. You have to be on the Ethereum network to accept and trade Ethereum, those kinds of things. So it's right. kind of now cryptocurrencies are now like different forms of government currencies, your Euro, your Franc, your dollar. Um, what's Irish money? What do you call it? The euro? Oh, we, we're in the euro now. I mean, we were before we were the punt, which was the uh, form of the Irish, the pound. It was a, a fancy way of saying pound. Ooh, punt. Okay. Yeah. Sorry, I'm not going to. I'm not going to confuse you anymore. Go ahead. <laughs> but so there's so these different types of cryptocurrencies are essentially like just different forms of currency. Right. So that's that's all that means. It gets really crazy because people come up with all these really weird names. Um, but you have to be on the blockchain that is incorporated with that coin or else you're just it's useless you have money in a country that doesn't exist right so there's so, that. so where where did these then originate from so say for example you have the bitcoin currency and uh, you've mentioned another one there how many is there in general is it is there lots and lots or is it just five and six or seven type of lots there's no currencies right Easily dozens, maybe hundreds, but there's new ones all the time. And where they come from is Silicon Valley and big, big money. People who have networks of things, infrastructures of things like, so for example, Ethereum. Ethereum was created to be a supplement to Bitcoin. Ethereum can move in ways that Bitcoin can't. Because it's like a, they call it like a doc, document lubrication, right? So if I'm going to send you a document to sign and we're doing a deal, um, and then once you sign that document, then the money gets transferred to you for this deal. That's really great for Ethereum. So that's a, so these coins are being created to do different jobs, do different things for different reasons. Um, right. For example, there's one called a Theta coin, and that one is specifically for videos, like like um, video files. So instead of YouTube charging me $19 a month for unlimited YouTubes, now this Theta coin that is being created by the co-founder of YouTube is being is being created so that I can just purchase the actual videos that I want to watch on YouTube with this coin, with this exchange. And it goes, it is much simpler. We've now taken out all of the, the, the subscription model. We've taken out the, the credit card fees. We've taken out all of these fingers in the pie that like the financial, um, the financial technology ecosystem has created. Now yeah. we just have a straight line from consumer product and service and then payment. Right. So now we've just we've eliminated so many steps um, that we now have the act the ability to cut costs and 
increase revenue. So what Bitcoin and or what cryptocurrencies have become is it's a really big upfront expense for companies for like these big conglomerate organizations um, that then they hope will in the future create compounding revenues and decreased expenses. Right. Which is why people want to do it right now. You're, you're made, uh, that makes more sense now. So do you think then will it eventually you mean will the likes of say credit cards might disappear in the future or cash payments might disappear because if these companies um are trying to keep as much revenue for themselves obviously it's in their interest to try and set up these currencies these cryptocurrencies of their own um to make the transactions easier and obviously to to enhance their revenue do you think maybe in the future i mean what's going to happen with money <laughs> oh money <laughs> um <laughs> I, there's a part of me that just wish it would disappear. Right. Okay. <laughs> I, I am not an economist. And so the future of money, I think, is very much so in flux. And it's very much so for the taking at the moment, which makes it really exciting. Um, but so to, to kind of speak more to my specialization, I work for a company called Only. And what we do is we create those asset-backed digital coins like I was telling you about, because in my mind, it just comes down to digitizing physical commodities so that they can be traded on a virtual exchange. Right. What I mean by that is that if I have a bunch of gold bars, for example, um, and I need to, because these are the guys who are like really dealing in this arena right now, or the people who have these very, very high value physical commodities. So I have a bunch of gold bars, they're stored in, you know, storage ports all over the world. And so now I need to liquidate this asset that I have. And so now I have my first option, which is the traditional option. Now I have to pay. Every step is very expensive. I have to pay to allocate all of that gold into one location. I now have to set up a sales channel, get people interested, bring people to this place so that I can verify the fact that I have it. And then I have to deliver it. And that gets very expensive. So yes. now what I can do is I can digitize that commodity by I can have somebody come in we have serial there are serial numbers on all of the bars now we just have to take a serial number and create what's called a vessel which is like a digital token so it's not a cryptocurrency because what this token what this vessel represents is that gold bar so okay. if I ah, okay that vessel and I send it to you instead of money. I'm not sending you $10,000 for a gold bar. I am sending you the physical or the digital commodity of that physical thing to you. And now you have ownership. So you can walk into that fright that or walk into that storage container and say, here's my proof of ownership. Now that's my gold bar. And so that's how that works. And the reason that that's really exciting is because that, that creates an incredible opportunity for third, third world countries. And if you'll entertain me for a second, I got a story. Go ahead. <laughs> so back in the gold rush days of California, these guys were just showing up with shovels and dreams, right? And so they were all trying to figure out who gets to mine where. And so they put up this big map on this big tree and they said, Bob's got this spot, Joe's got this spot, and this is how we all agree this is how this works. 
And then the legislators and the judges and the lawyers came to California after and started buying up land. And they're like, well, they've got a system of trade here and they already have proof of ownership. So we're just going to build that into the laws that we are creating. And so that's how we have California trade laws and gold laws. They still exist today. Um, now, what's happening in third world countries is that we have, if you don't have a way to show that you own your land, your property, your, your livestock, um, there is a very big chance that you are going to be prey to, to unfavorable people. You have gangs, you have uh, terrorist organizations, you have all of these things who will come and give you a false sense of authenticity. So I'm mafia guy number one, I come to your house and I say, hey, yeah, this is all mine now. I will let you keep it. And here's my seal so that if mafia guy number two comes over, you call me and I'll kick his butt. So <laughs> now we have this like informal form of information because, but then if I'm a farmer in a third world country, I can't go to my local governance board and ask for help because it costs hundreds of thousands of dollars. There are incredibly complex red red tape all throughout that entire process to legitimize the fact that this is my cow you know but so yes. what we now have the opportunity to do with blockchain is for people to come in these technology creators to come in and to work with these local communities which has already been done um and get them an actual ledger of proof of ownership. So they have full control. They don't have to ask the state. They don't have to ask their country. They don't have to ask the mob boss down the street. I have proof of ownership and I can now take action to protect myself and my, and my property. Right. So are the currencies then, do they carry, or the cryptocurrencies, are, do they carry a risk? Or, because the guys I know that have said, uh, they've invested in in uh, Bitcoin, and they seem to be doing okay. Um, I don't know. I mean, I, I as I said before, all this all this cryptocurrency, Bitcoin stuff. It's uh, it's fascinating to listen to you because you you, you know what you're talking about. But I mean, it, it does it come with a certain amount of risk if you're investing? I know you were saying that you can you can see everything live, or you can see you know where your money is, or where where the the, the Bitcoin is. And you can watch everybody else what they're doing but is there a certain amount of risk investing in it at the moment or is it like any other investment <laughs> i'm going to err on the side of caution and say it's like any other investment i am not a financial advisor and when i say that you can see into the ledger that means that if you are if you have access to the blockchain ledger to the bitcoin ledger that's being yeah. adjusted absolutely you have full transparency if you are trading, if you're just an average Joe, you don't have a, you know, an IT degree, if you're not doing any of this technical work and you're just investing, whether on Coinbase or Webull or Ameritrade, I actually don't think Ameritrade does Bitcoin. Um, whether you're just doing straight up investing, there will always be a risk. My 30,000 foot view of cryptocurrency it's definitely worth it to diversify. If you're investing already, diversify your portfolio with crypto. Do the same research you would do on any other investment that you would make. If This is my rule of thumb. If you are hearing about an investment in the news, it is too late to invest in it. Just right. don't do it. <laughs> okay. Bitcoin is the exception to the rule because everybody's talking about Bitcoin and the best time to buy Bitcoin was 10 years ago. The second best time is today. So... The 
the, the market is incredibly volatile. Things are going to change. I can't promise you I can dub you a winner. Um, nobody can dub you a winner. They would just be lying to you. <laughs> but it's, <Right. laughs> it's fun. You know, it's just like, you know, you, you, were, you didn't care about the market trends until you started investing in the market. You don't care about crypto trends until you start investing in crypto. Just how much right. you put in the game is how much you're actually going to really start digging into how it works. So if Clueless Dave, meaning Clueless Dave me, was to want to invest in Bitcoin or cryptocurrency, how do I start? Where do I go? Who do I talk to? Is there a website I follow? Is there, you know, do I talk to Elon Musk? Do I talk to, <laughs> you know, who, who do I, what do I do? Uh, that's, a, that's a great question. Um, I tell people all the time, do what you are going to actually do. So for example, if you like Facebook, follow some people on Facebook who talk about Bitcoin. If you're on Instagram, do that. Reddit, do that. Um, go. There are people talking about Bitcoin no matter and cryptocurrency trading, no matter what sphere you are in online. So find those people, follow the ones that are interesting to you and just get started. Um, for Clueless Dave, if you are not <laughs> going to be investing over $10,000, I'd say start with Coinbase. It's very user-friendly. If you're not using really, I've heard people have some problems, but only when they're, they're moving an incredible amount of money through Coinbase. So if you're just kind of trying to get your feet wet and get started, Coinbase is great for trading. Um, if you are totally new to trading and investing entirely, I highly recommend um, Webull or um, TD Ameritrade. Those are both great apps that have something called paper trading, which is basically like doing stock trading with monopoly money. So they give you like a million fake dollars and you can trade whatever you want, but it will actually grow or de decrease based on real time market trends. So you can kind of like get your feet wet without having to play with your own money. Right. And is there any other, these apps you mentioned, um, is there any other websites? Is there any kind of like, with uh, your company specifically, I mean, could I go to your company and you can start the ball rolling then? Is that how it works? <laughs> I don't know. Um, so I'm personally partial to apps. I rarely ever check out websites anymore. But um, so like my my company's website, only.one, that is, um, that's more of a website for if you own a physical commodity and you are interesting, interested in digitizing it and creating your own on-premise private exchange, Absolutely. Please check out that website. We do have some blog posts, but they're all pretty high level. Um, so right. if you're just interested in learning more, um, Medium is a great app that you can learn, like lots of great, easy to digest articles. Um, and again, if it's just about getting into it and learning more, go to the places that you're already on on social media and people will direct you to those resources. Okay. Uh, right. What about then the environment? What impact does all of this wonderful stuff have on, on the environment? Or does oh. it have any impact? Oh, golly, Toledo. Um, okay, so it has lots of impact on the environment for two reasons. One, it takes a lot, we talked about this, it takes a lot of energy to mine and to run Bitcoin, to run any kind of cryptocurrency. Anything you're doing on the computer takes a lot of storage. Just want yeah. to like throw that PSA out there that like Facebook, Instagram, Amazon, Apple, all of these big technology places, they have huge, enormous, unfathomable 
facilities full of computers just running this crap, like right. just keeping it alive. And that takes so much energy. And right now we're burning a lot of that energy with fossil fuels. So the first thing we have to do is figure out the energy problem. We can totally power this monkey, but we need to give it better juice. We cannot keep burning these fossil fuels. So one of the things that I do is I work for relationships with a renewable energy company. And we have actually created a way to capture zero point energy, which means that we are actually pulling energy straight from the vacuum. It's totally off grid and it's totally self-sustaining. And now the biggest hurdle is taking this power supply that we've created and now incorporating it and in, uh, integrating it into current infrastructures. So for example, like stoplights, if we were to put our power supply into a stoplight, because each light is its own unit, you never yes. have to change a light bulb again, and you no longer have to pull power from the grid, which is where we're burning fossil fuels to power from. So if we could create PC units, we could create data processors, we can create these computing components that require so much energy with a better energy source, Woo, we are off to the races, right? But yeah. that takes time, that takes money, and that takes people to be humble. Um, the second thing that I think is really going to help the environment is now people are very aware of their money, what it's doing, where it's going, what's happening with it. So we have greater and greater initiatives for people and companies, um, especially, to do better things with their money. There's an initiative right now that goes going going on for the past few years called ESG. It stands for Environmental, Social, and Governance. And it's a voluntary initiative by NASDAQ, which is the one who hosts all of these public companies, saying, you don't have to do anything you don't want to do, but you have the absolute freedom to run your business however you want. However, we have this set of standards for how you, how your company interacts with the environment. Is it dumping chemicals? Is it creating a bunch of waste? You know, what, what does that look like? To social, are you, do you have good programs involved for your employees, health and wellness? Do you hire inclusivity, um, inclusively? Um, and governance, are your leaders strong leaders? Are they actual industry experts? What are they doing to create what are they doing with the power that they have been given to make the world a better place, their respectable community a better place? The mom and pop shop should only be responsible for the street which their store is on, but a global conglomerate organization <laughs> is responsible for the betterment of the world. Yeah. So there are eyes on big money right now and they need to do the right thing not because it's the right thing to do, but now because it will lose them money if they do the wrong thing. Investors, which make the world go round, are looking for long-term risks, and that includes environmental, social, and governance. So how big, this was my long-winded answer to how Bitcoin and blockchain are really going to change the environment is by creating new economical ways to of infrastructure of actually doing business and so once that like the old way of doing things has become cracked and so now we have the opportunity to grow it back even stronger with better practices keeping the environment in mind so we don't end up in the Lorax movie right okay <laughs> that's where we're at <laughs> so 
I mean, do you think, and this is just an opinion um, from your environmental background, do you think now because we've had this kind of uh, COVID situation and the lockdowns and that now there, there will be a focus on the environment because they have more time to think about it and they can kind of modify things, um, uh, the big corporations, but do you think the likes of, say, the clothes industry, the aviation industry and stuff like that, do you think that will have a, a big impact in the future? But what if you if you were saying nothing to do with generally the podcast with Bitcoin or cryptocurrency, but how how do you see the way things may change in the future with all industries specific then because the companies need to you know focus a little bit more on the environment? Because you know yourself, Murray, we don't see you, you hit the nail on the head there, is that you know, we use all these systems, whether it be the computer, the TV, and they use a lot of energy, but we don't see the fossil fuel impact. And then we have these advertisements that are telling us to use green or electric cars. And you go to your electric car station, you you plug it in, you charge it for so many hours and you drive off. But you, you, you don't see that by plugging it in, it has to be powered and go somewhere else uh, where the fossil fuels come out eventually. You know, there's, there's no nothing's for free <laughs> it's kind of like when you plug something in fossil fuels comes out somewhere else so where, where do you think this is gonna possibly end <laughs> <laughs> well, i don't like to think about endings because there's no fun in that for me i don't no. i have a hard time finishing books i like <laughs> right um, or beginning where do you think it's going to begin beginning well i think we're in the beginning and i'm a very firm believer in that you need to nobody can do anything alone. And we learn more from each other than we can from reading all of the books all of the time. So the, at least the American government that I'm privy to, um, we started asking for help. The environment, like the Department of Energy, all of these things, they've started coming, they started coming out. They say, whether you are a single entrepreneur or a business or a nonprofit, or just someone with a crazy idea about how we can fix this, we're willing, we're ready to listen. So I think that's the biggest first step is when you're able to admit what we're doing isn't working and we need a new idea and we don't know what that is. That's a huge first step. So, and I, uh, so I think the only way that global change happens is on an individual basis. And that is the, I, I know it's faux pas to say, but the one, one of the things I'm grateful for, for the pandemic is the fact that nobody could say that they weren't at risk. It was something that we were all in together. Everyone had to stop what they were doing and just sit with themselves for a minute. And everybody handled that in a very different way. And so one of the things that I've seen personally is that people have discovered, rediscovered their connection to the natural world simply because they stopped what they were doing and they had to, then they went outside and they were like, oh, wow, I really am just this like hairless monkey wandering around this rock and I don't have long and this flower is really pretty. Like just getting back <laughs> to appreciating the nature and like, oh, well, if I want to, if I want my kids to see this flower, I'm going to have to start doing when they're my age, I'm going to have to start doing different things differently. And as a business owner and as people who, and as someone who's talking with industry leaders, for example, with aviation, um, yeah, there are definitely people who are out there in these businesses that just want to make money. But at the end of the day, they also want to have a family and they want to be happy and they want to be healthy and grow. So 
we are, I, I think the, the light bulb has gone off that we are mm. all in the same storm. We're not all in the same boat. Some people have yachts. Some people are barely keeping their heads above water, yeah. but the, it's, it's going to start when we recognize and acknowledge the, the gift that we have here and the very, very precious moment in time that we're in. And the only way that things are going to start to change from that point is if we actually take it upon ourselves to engage in some form of reciprocity, no matter what that means, giving back to someone who isn't you. The time for self-care has passed. It is now time to care for others in any way that you can give. And once that ball gets rolling, and if everybody did that, if everybody from the janitor to the admin lady, to the sales guy, to the CEO of any company in every organization in every industry in the world, some serious change would happen because we all just have different points of leverage. You know, my six-year-old, if he changes his mind about something, the world isn't, not much in the world is going to change. But me, I've created a career, I've developed relationships, I've developed skills, I have put myself in certain situations. And if I have an idea about what I want to do to make the world a better place, I can do something about it. And yes. if I don't, that's on me. It's, I just hope we're all as adaptable as, as your, your, your positivity <laughs> shines out. I think there'll be a lot of fighting going on to take people's iPhones off. <laughs> I mean, my, my biggest thing is where your focus goes is where your energy flows. And you do not have a policeman in your head telling you what you should or should not be thinking about all the time. There is no such thing as being too happy. And I think people feel like they don't, they don't deserve it. You know, yeah. there's somebody has a situation better that worse than me. I could be doing more. I'm not doing enough. I'm not. There's so many things telling you that it's useless. It's worth. It's that feeling of powerlessness that you can't do anything to help. It's not real. And that's my biggest gift. I wish I could give people is that feeling of powerlessness you have. It's not real. Did, did you? And this can be sound like a weird question, but did you enjoy the lockdowns or the? I don't know what the lockdowns were like in the States in comparison to here in Ireland or in Europe in general or the rest of the world, but did it give you more focus on what was important in, in, in everything really? The, the lockdown and quarantine was honestly probably the best thing that ever happened to me in my whole life. I am incredibly grateful and I acknowledge the fact that I was not touched by the loss of anyone in my life, in my, in my circle from COVID. And I acknowledge that people have suffered many, many losses. But for me, I was a full-time single mom. Um, I had my son and it was just me and him and I was working and I was doing everything I could to keep my head above water. Um, and then everything stopped and I got to spend a lot of quality time with my son and I got to develop new systems that allowed me to work from home. And I developed new opportunities that allowed me to use my time in better ways to help add more value, not only to the people I was serving, but financially to myself. Um, I also experienced something called the Vipassana. It was a 10 day silent meditation that was provided to me by a group of people who taught me more than I in a year than I ever could have learned on my own in a lifetime because they what they shared freely with me about their experience I was able to take on and use for myself um, so I highly recommend to anyone who has the opportunity if you feel like you're going crazy 
just sit still and be quiet and you will, and it's wildly uncomfortable, but the only thing being asked of you is to sit still and be quiet. And I promise, I promise you will, will stop fighting. Can, can you expand on that 10 day silent meditation? What, yeah. how does that work? I mean, you're not, are you, are you sitting in a room and you don't say nothing or? Um, pretty much. So, um, I am, in a, I'm what's called a Q, which is an adherent of a religion called natural spirituality. It's an agnostic religion based off of, um, practices like Buddhist practices. So lots of meditation, the base being there is no God to worship, no story to follow, no rules to obey. It is your experience of life and it is as you choose it to be. But here's what we have learned things that have helped. Um, and so there are, so what was provided to me was an education um, of this is, I have a choice of what I want to do with my life and what I choose to believe. Um, I, I learned how to learn, which was an incredibly important skill that I don't think people have the ability, that people don't have access to nearly as much as they should. And then once that happened, um, I was showed how to properly meditate because for a long time I had just been sitting still um, and I practiced stillness, which is great. And there is a lot to be said about that, but there is an actual practice of meditation um, that is, it's like a muscle. It does, it has to be developed. And so when I got to the point where I could sit still in meditation for 30 minutes without breaking, they started me on my Vipassana. And so they essentially sent me outside for 10 days. Um, wow. and I was given a little shelter and I was provided meals, but you don't make eye contact. You don't, um, you're not allowed to sh ask questions or speak. Um, and they don't speak to you, but you sit in meditation for about 10 hours every day. It builds up time, starts at 45 minute blocks, works your way up to two hours of just sitting still and being quiet. And I can tell you in that time, I have never been more afraid. I have never cried harder tears for just the, the experience that is myself. Um, but I, there's an, I can't tell you what that experience is like, because it is seriously something that you can only do for yourself. But I found something in that experience that will forever add value to my life. Wow, very impressive. Sounds like most of my friendships are my uh, ex-dating life. Nobody wants to talk to me or, <laughs> or just want to look at me. It's like, just stand over there for saying nothing, just keep your mouth shut. Okay, no, that's, that's wow, that's pretty impressive. So let's get onto, onto the, the plugging stuff now. So you're co-founder of Local High Marketing. So what, what services do uh, Local High Marketing provide? Oh, so Local High Marketing is a spinoff from Local Fi Marketing. So Local Fi Marketing, we do general marketing for all businesses of every industry. Um, and so we've, we've nailed that down. But Local High Marketing was specifically geared towards um, blockchain and cannabis because I'm very close with the creators of the cannabis coin for the state of Arizona. So now we have ex officially accepted a coin called Alta, which cannabis companies can purchase for dollar per token. We'll come pick up your cash with an armored truck. You now have that much money in the exchange to use. And now you can pay people across state lines. So we've you know, eliminated that federal problem because now it's a commodity rather than cash. So that means you can pay your business partners, you can pay your vendors, um, but you can also pay for professional services like fintech insurance and marketing. So local high is the exclusive marketing option for cannabis companies because we are, or I'm sorry, local high, because we 
um, provide some of the only marketing that cannabis companies can have access to, um, but we also are the only ones that are able to accept the digital um, cannabis coin. So that's what we do. We do a lot of really great SEO, high-powered stuff. We work with um, some of the best models and influencers in the industry to help with like on-premise and print work. Um, and that's and that's what we do. We create a lot of really great results for our clients. So you mentioned there cannabis. Mm -hmm. is, that, is that the same spelling as the plant? Yes. So uh, it it's, weed, it's weed marketing, marijuana, cannabis, weed marketing. Holy moly. Okay. And that's all, <laughs> I mean, that's all, uh, is that legalized over there or is that how it works? So yes and no, that's the problem is that federally right. it's still illegal, but state by state, it's slowly becoming more legal. So you can't use the U.S. dollar for a lot of things unless it's in that state, because once you cross federal lines, now you're breaking federal law. So that's why we created a cannabis coin so that within this state, you know, state by state, we go around with working on legislation. Um, so now this cannabis company, instead of having to take hundreds of thousands of dollars in cash every day to a federal union or any bank that will accept them, because most banks still won't accept cannabis uh, business, yes. uh, you can now have that cash picked up by an armored truck sent to an insured and bonded vault. And you have access to that money via these tokens. So now if you, if you give me $100,000, you have 100,000 tokens, and you can use them to pay all of your business bills. You can use them to pay your employees. You can use them to do all of these things, just like you could with regular cash, but with but while staying compliant for all of the federal regulations. Wow, that's impressive. The cannabis coin. <laughs> so it's a lot. It's a lot, but it's um it's been a lot of fun. I I enjoy I enjoy the challenge. Jesus, uh, the world is changing right right before our eyes. The last forty five minutes has opened up my eyes so much. Brilliant. <laughs> so where can our listeners then find you on social media? Yeah, obviously have a website. I do. We have a website, localhighmarketing.com. If you're not interested in cannabis marketing and just regular local marketing, um, localfiseo.com is where you can find us. Um, but me personally, you can find me at abundant underscore economics on just about every platform you can find. Right. So the Instagrams and the Facebooks and the Twitters and... I, yeah, I have a Twitter. I'm never on it. So don't talk to me there. <laughs> All right. Okay. <laughs> well, thank you very much, uh, Mariah Maynard, for joining me today about everything from blockchain, Bitcoin, cryptocurrency, even got a bit of cannabis stuff in at the end there, which was uh, pretty embarrassed, and 10 days meditation. Um, as uh, Mariah has mentioned, you can get in touch with her on all the social media platforms and via her website. So thank you very much, Mariah, for chatting with me today on the Wellbeing and Career Work podcast. Thank you so much. It's been a pleasure, David.